0: Hello and welcome to another episode of That One Time I Dated a Mormon. I hope that you're well, I hope that you've had a good week and a good weekend so far um, and thank you very much for, for tuning in and listening. Um, thank you to those who responded to the episode last week when I was talking about deconstructing disappointment and how um, certain language around disappointments um, can be, uh, can link into uh, the shame that people feel um, if they feel that they have um, let someone down or let themselves down and trying to really um, flip the way that we we use the word disappointment. Um, I've had some quite interesting comments and, and replies back. So if I haven't replied to you yet, then I will. But thank you very much to those who responded. What I thought I would talk about today um, kind of links into the focus last week on um, disappointment and how people uh, react to things. And so I wanted to talk today about the idea of reactive and proactive and how people respond to various things, whether it be a social issue, whether it be something in your own life. And it's something that came to mind when I um, follow a... Um Instagram account, which I've mentioned numerous times on here um in previous episodes called everyday racism. And they this week have been doing a lot of work on the difference between reactive and proactive allyship and whether um how people um get involved in supporting things like Black Lives Matter, whether it is reactive, so, um, maybe not necessarily helpful, um, and maybe a little bit um, uh, kind of surface level, if that makes sense, in terms of how they respond to an issue, or it is proactive and is actually helpful and is actually forward-thinking in terms of how they uh, react and respond to issues. So I'm going to focus on that idea today of reactive and proactive and the choices people make. Um, in reaction to things that happen. Um, something that has been in the news this week um, which kind of doesn't normally happen in the news, but it 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 literally sent shivers down my spine when I heard it, it the, 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 the details of it were the details that have come out about the Sever, Sarah Everard case. And, um the the footage that's come out um and I don't know if you um, have, have kept abreast of, of of the information that's come out but um that the 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 man who's been found guilty um and has been sent down for life for the kidnapping and, and attack and murder of, of Sarah Everard. Um, abused his power as a police officer, um made out that he was arresting her for breaking COVID rules, um, that he that was his job to kind of enforce those rules. So he was abusing his his right um and the the, the power that he had in his position. Um and just the footage that that was shown of him actually arresting her and the people who walk past and assume that it was an arrest as as i think you would um just seeing that and that you know a man prey on a woman in that way it it's so scary really really um just terrifying that that happened um just kind of completely by chance to this poor woman. Um, And then, obviously, with the news about um, Sabine Nessa as well um, and the the, the arguments of women's safety is again in the news. And I spoke about that last week about um, kind of the disappointment I felt about the fact that um, people seem to be surprised that it was Again, back in the news that it was somehow um, sorted because of how um, you know angrily people reacted to the Sarah Everard case, um, and that it's it's not an easy fix this type of issue, and that's one of the things that made me think about this episode today, looking at reactive and proactive responses and what we can actually do to proactively support these causes. Um. One of the reasons I've, I've, start, I've opened with the Sarah Everard case is because in the news this week as well, um, and in a couple of podcasts I've listened to, there's been a debate around the amount of news coverage that the two cases got, Sarah Everard and Sabina Nessa, that Sarah Everard um, was almost like a, a global news story when that happened. And the outcry that that happened after that. And then Sabina Nessa, it took several days for it to even make the news. And a number of people have pointed out that, you know, um the the kind of racial differences. So Sarah Everard was white, Sabina Nessa um was is a woman of colour, and that it kind of highlighted the um, not only the violence towards women or male violence towards women, but um the The difference in terms of how women of of race are um uh, highlighted and given support in the news as well. And I thought that's quite an interesting point. one because there is definitely an argument there for how women of color are treated differently, one hundred percent. But then on the other hand, is that argument potentially um missing the point? Should it be more focused on um, male violence towards women, um, as, as the larger issue. Um, and is that argument again reactive or is it proactive? Is it helpful to have that debate or is it actually, um, kind of skewing where the focus should be potentially? So this idea of reactive and proactive is going to be the main focus of today and how people react and whether it is helpful or unhelpful whether and i'm going to use some terminology which i'll explain such as virtue signaling and whether a reaction is potentially self-serving or um ambitious in terms of, of of helping something move forward so i'd like you um to think about a situation when you have either been reactive in your response or proactive in your response so Maybe think about an issue at work where some problem has come up. Were you reactive in terms of maybe too quick to react without thinking? Maybe quite angry and inflammatory? Or were you proactive in terms that you sorted out a problem and a solution? Think about maybe um, a family fallout. Think about when something, you know, simple, like something's just broken, were you reactive and kind of, um, as I do sometimes, uh, like fly off the handle and just get really annoyed about it? Or were you proactive and actually went out and sought something? And then think about also, on a larger scale, our responses to situations such as Black Lives Matter. We all had a reaction to it. But was it reactive in the moment and whatever we did to support that cause hasn't really been long lasting and we forgot about it the next day? Or was your reaction proactive and actually you are continuing to have that dialogue and spread that message and be helpful? So if we think about some examples in the media um, at the moment, obviously, I've mentioned this Sarah Everard case and just to build on that. Um, Boris Johnson has been in the news this week, um, where he has spoken on the Sarah Everard case, but also this has been a case, um, the fact that, um, the, 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 the culprit has been sent down for life. And this week, Boris Johnson released a statement saying that the government, quote, will stop at nothing to make sure that we get more rapists behind bars. Um, and that he said that prosecutions for rape, and sexual violence have been going wrong. That's what he said. Um, But that the nation's police officers were, quote, overwhelmingly trustworthy. Um, And I think, um, obviously, that's what you want the prime minister to say, but it seems a little bit late. Um, You know, this Sarah Everard case happened, I think it was in March. Um, Sabina Nessa was attacked and murdered nearly a month ago. um, And he's been utterly silent on it until now um so in terms of his response that seems to me a very delayed reactive response nothing proactive about that at all um if we think about um things a little bit more well definitely more um flippant the uh, petrol i don't want to use the word crisis i just can't think of a synonym um, and it's been happening this week Think about people's reactions to that. It was incredibly reactive. It was rushing to get petrol. It wasn't proactive. It wasn't, well, we'll hold on. We'll see what happens over the next couple of days. It was very reactive. And in the moment, no thought about it. Um, and there's been a lot of criticism, I think quite rightly, Um, in the news. They were just um, kind of inflaming the situation by reporting on it every five seconds. Whereas if it wasn't reported on. Um, that um, there wasn't a fuel crisis. It was actually just that there weren't enough drivers. If it wasn't reported on in the first place, then no one would have known about it um, and no one would have then reacted to it. Um, And um, building on an episode I did a couple of weeks ago, there has been um, protests and rallies in America this week on the abortion bill that had been coming into parts of America um, and the SB8 abortion law that I spoke about a few weeks ago and in my point of view that was a very proactive response. Um, you know, people carrying signs, people talking about it, people raising the issue for themselves and for others. Um, so, um, has been reported on the news this week. Uh, 10,000 people were holding rallies across all 50 states um, to support abortion rights, um, not just in the state of Texas, where um, the abortion law has now been reduced to having abortion at only six weeks. Um, And this seemed to me not reactive, but very proactive response, considering so many people are concerned that the um, Roe versus Wade may be being completely reversed across parts of America. Um, And um, obviously, you know, there were people then negatively reacting to that um, with people shouting. There's been footage of it, people shouting, you know, blood of innocent babies will be on your hands, that type of thing. Um, as I've said, I'm completely for um, pro-choice. I'm completely um, supporting um, abortion and a woman's right to do that. But I think that this was a very proactive response. It wasn't just kind of a flippant Um, hashtag on Instagram, and then you forget about it two seconds later. This was thousands of people proactively standing up for women's rights. Um, And then coming back over here to the UK, um, I know it's been in the news and people kind of get very irritated about it, the climate protests that were happening across parts of the motorway down south, I think, down towards London um, on the M25. And again, it's just this idea of Is it reactive or proactive? Um, The climate protesters, are they doing something that is reactive in the moment that maybe isn't going to be long lasting because it actually just irritates people um, and is going to make more people against their cause? Or is it proactive and they are actually um, brave enough to take a stand and to put people out and to stand up for what they believe in? Um, I'm just going to play a little news clip which details some of that uh, protest that's been happening this week. You might recall that there was a block on the M25 not that long ago. Well, they have blocked parts of the M25 for the second time in three days. Insulate Britain is demanding government action on home insulation. Uh, Well, the organisation has stopped traffic at several sections of Britain's busiest motorway. It wrote on Twitter... Hashtag Insulate Britain are back. Boris Johnson, can you hear us yet? Uh, there were two demonstrations, Junction 23 at South Min's in Hertfordshire, uh, Junction 8 at Ryagate to Junction 9 at Leatherhead, uh, of course those in Surrey. Demonstrators sat on the road causing huge queues of traffic, Insulate Britain said. 89 of its members are taking part, demanding action on insulating homes. Um, now, I'd be interested to see your opinion. You know, is that reactive? Is it um, kind of maybe not really thinking about the larger impact and the larger issue? Or is that proactive and it is doing something for the future? It is actually helpful what these people were trying to do. Um, quite interestingly, uh, Pretty Patel... Um, in the Conservative government, um, released a statement this week saying that the government would not quote tolerate guerrilla tactics that restrict people going about their day to day business, and that the police will be given powers that they need to stop their reckless and selfish behaviour. A little bit ironic, considering that Priti Patel is, I think, quite um infamously known for being not the nicest person to work for, and she's calling other people out for being selfish. But but there we go, um. I want to focus, though, um, on um, certain issues today about this idea of reactive and proactive um, responses. Um, Here's a challenge for you. Try and count how many times I use the word reactive and proactive response in this podcast. I'm probably on about 10,000 already. Um, But one thing that I thought was really interesting is an article that came up on BBC News this week. If you've not seen it, um, there was a video shared online um of um two men that had spiked um a woman's drink, and two 18-year-old men have been arrested in Gloucestershire um for being identified in the video. And one of them is shown to drop a tablet in a woman's drink as he reaches to collect his kind of very Um, Slyly slips a pill into hers as he gets his. Um, And it's um, made me look into what um, premises are doing um, across the country in terms of supporting women to feel safe. Um, in, in the, the, the clubs and bars that they go into. And I came across, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, something that a couple of bars have done in England. And it um, has also been reported by Jamila Jamil on her Iway Instagram and podcast. Um, and to me, this is something that is very proactive and supportive in terms of a reaction so um, a couple of clubs um, and pubs up and down the country they have put posters inside women's toilets and it's um, a code that a woman can use when they go to the bar and the um, bar workers will know exactly what it is that the uh, woman means and it's something that they can say to the bar workers without worry of being overheard by maybe someone that is nearby them that they feel uncomfortable near so um for example in, in one establishment if a woman goes to a bar um and orders something called an owl shot then the person working will instantly know that that means that they're in a difficult situation if they order it neat then a member of staff will escort the woman to their car if they order it on the rocks then the bar staff knows that they need to call a ride for you so an uber or a taxi And if they order it with lime, then they know that something more serious has happened and that 999 needs to be called. So that might be that a drink has been spiked or um, there's maybe been um, some type of um, sexual assault occurred or there's maybe been a threat, something like that. Um. Again, there's there's another um, version of this where a bar calls it a Cinderella shot instead and again you order it neat with ice with lime and it lets the member of staff know exactly what it is that you need Um. and on the poster it says, Do you feel unsafe or are you picking up a weird vibe? We're here to help. Simply order a Cinderella shot. We will handle things discreetly and without causing a lot of fuss. Um, And I thought that was brilliant, and that was a really proactive way to support women and something that is long lasting and isn't something that is just um, kind of um, flippantly put on Instagram. It's not just someone using the hashtag feminism. It's an actual thoughtful idea that um, an owner, a boss has put into place to support women in society, and I think that was great. Um, I, I've mentioned before, um, a comedian and actress called, um, um, Mae Martin, I should say actor actually as Mae Martin, um, doesn't use pronouns. Um, they have written a book called Can Everyone Please Calm Down? Which is a guide to 21st sexuality. And I, um, I found some of the, um, uh, engagement, I will say, of companies with the LGBT plus rainbow flag over the last couple of months. I've honest, a little bit irksome um, and it's made me think again about this idea of um, whether their response to the LGBT community is reactive and a little bit self-serving or proactive and actually going to um, support that community. So I'm thinking of things like the skittles um company of sweets that um they've jumped on the idea that um they obviously taste the rainbow the rainbow is the lgbt plus symbol um and they've used that to really um, push the selling of their products now on one hand is that proactive and helpful um are they just kind of cleverly playing on their own logo or is it more oh we're going to use this and it'll get get us more money I'm maybe being a little bit cynical and thinking it's more to do with commercial capitalism, but there we go. Um, And then, you know, things like Sky Sports, um, you know, they have the LGBT plus flag down on the bottom of the screen, tiny, you know, to support gay footballers. Again, is that actually doing anything? Is it really going to make a difference? Um, Is the intent um, pure? I'd like to think yes. Is it maybe just lip service? I think so, yes as well. So May Martin wrote a book called Can Everybody Please Down and they make some really interesting comments about um kind of the people the views people have of sexuality um and how the dialogue around how we treat people um is really the best way to move forward and that is the best way to show allyship to members of the LGBT community. So I'm just gonna read you a couple of little um, extracts. Um, so at one point, May Martin writes, um, so we know that everyone has a sexuality and that there are different ways of categorizing it. Well, my belief based on my personal experience and one that is shared by lots of clever people is that we are open to our sexualities and they can be completely dynamic. This means that they can change over time according to influences, experience, hormones hormones, and so on. It's not necessarily something that stays the same throughout our lives and that we can clearly bottle up. Um, they also go on to say, if I can just find the little page that I've dog-eared. There it is. There it is. Um, hold on. Um, when arguing with someone who fundamentally believes that same-sex sex relations are a sin, and for the record, you shouldn't have to engage in these conversations. I can see why it's sometimes simple to simplify the issue and just say, look, I didn't choose this in the same way that some people didn't change, didn't choose their skin colour. And that is absolutely true. We don't choose who we're attracted to, but to say that we are simply born this way just feels like a dumbing down of a more beautiful and complex issue. And then they also say brilliantly at the end, if someone questions you and says, when do you realise you were gay? Your answer can just be, well, when did you realise you were straight? Um, and the reason I've mentioned that in this episode is because um, one of the things that you can do to become proactive in relation to supporting minorities such as the LGBT plus community and to be a proactive ally rather than just a reactive ally is to read about it go and read a book about sexuality and then use that as part of a discussion Um, you know read the book like this by Mae Martin and then talk to people about um how certain vocabulary is unacceptable. Um, Read a book like this and then call people out if you hear them being homophobic. Read a book like this and call people out if you hear someone mocking, um, you know, the idea of people who are non-binary and um, people mocking others who don't use pronouns because i do think that at the moment non-binary is a hot topic but it's something that a lot of people are very dismissive of and think is some type of flash in the pan craze um so the way to be proactive is to talk to people and um, question people and call people out if they are being um, homophobic and discriminatory um As I mentioned before, one of the accounts that I follow is Everyday Racism on um, Instagram and they've been doing a lot of work um, constantly, but particularly this week, they've been looking at um, how people can be an ally proactively and to be an ally um, in terms of supporting people of colour in a way that is going to be uh, long lasting and helpful. So um, they are brilliant at sharing information and research and data, and they have been focusing particularly this week on um, the treatment of people of colour in America in relation to the police, um, which is obviously, you know, a continuing issue, um, you know, just with George Floyd um, and the uproar that caused over, you know, nearly two years ago. Um, So they released some data this week. That said um, by the 2nd of of October 2021, which is just this week, um, black people will be killed by the police at a rate of three and a half times more than a um, a white person. Um, And it's also been reported that half of all police killings go unreported, with the majority of those unreported victims being black and that 55% of deaths from 1980 to 2018 were misclassified and unreported and again the majority of those 55% were um, black victims. Um, And then in England and Wales um, in 2019 there were 428,000 incidents where the police were reported of using excessive force And that 15% of those were towards black people, even though black people only make up 3% of the English and Welsh population. Um, So there's a huge disparity there in terms of the violence towards people of colour from the police. Now, again, you know, I need to, to say that obviously this isn't all people in police are like this. Um, and I think that's important to state. However, you can't ignore the fact that there is a huge disparity between the violence towards people of colour, particularly the women of colour and men and women who are white um, from the police. And then, interestingly, it also says that um, 8% of those who died in police custody um, between 20, 2008 and 2009 were black. Again, when black people only make up 3% of our um, country. Now, one of the things that um, everyday racism has questioned in the past, and this was also mentioned on a podcast with Jamila Jamil a couple of weeks ago with um, Phoebe Robinson, who she interviewed. Was the response online to Black Lives Matter and the Black Square and the Blackout Tuesday that happened. So I'm just going to play you a little um video clip from an American news station when this happened on the 3rd of June 2020
1: is Blackout Tuesday. And maybe you've noticed on social media, Black Squares shared on Instagram over and over to express solidarity with those protesting the murder of George Floyd. It's meant to be a collective action to protest racism and police brutality. Organizers of Blackout Tuesday said they wanted today to be a day to disconnect from work and reconnect with our community. Calling the black squares your friends, families, businesses, and individuals posted on their social media accounts a way to observe, mourn, and bring about policy change in the wake of George Floyd's death. It was originally organized within the music industry, and today celebrities joined in like Katy Perry, Look beneath the square on her Instagram. Perry explains why Blackout Tuesday matters to her.
0: Okay, now I'm just going to pause it there for a second. Now, um, one of the things that a lot of people criticised that Blackout Tuesday for was that it was very reactive and it was very surface level. That for someone to put a black square on Instagram to show um, a word that was used there in the clip, solidarity with Black Lives Matter and... Um, the, uh, the, the murder of George Floyd, um, is that actually doing anything? And that's something that Phoebe Robinson calls out. Did that actually do anything? Um, yes, it was part of the kind of social consciousness at the time, but that black square, I mean, did that actually change anything? And you're thinking now 18 months, two years later, well, no, <laughs> um, you know, white supremacy, racism is, is still quite clearly happening. And um, Emma Watson was one of the celebrities that mentioned there. This Katie Perry, for example, and um, Emma Watson was a celebrity that um, had a huge backlash for doing it online uh, when she wrote underneath her black square. I see your anger. I see your pain. Um, and a lot of people criticized her for that. Um, and again, it being quite um, tokenistic, the, the fact that she was doing it. I paused on the clip there on purpose because um, Katy Perry um, did the, the black square. But um, what she did that I think was more helpful and more proactive, um, proactive rather, was that she then um, made links to certain charities. So people could actually then go and donate to charities that supported people and particularly the women of colour
1: and even gives links to organizations to donate to in her post.
0: Um, so for me, that was um, more helpful, if that makes sense. It wasn't just a black square to kind of show, oh, I'm, I'm aware that black people have problems. It then took it a little bit further. Now, um, everyday racism um, talks about a lot of the... Cap- um, gives a lot of vocabulary as well so it uses phrases such as tokenism, virtual signalling, white saviour um, and that's really important because again it it's the idea of, of whether your response to an issue is reactive and very surface so is it just tokenistic that you put a black square on is it just virtual signalling and um, you're kind of making yourself look better almost because you're um, supporting a cause. But are you actually then do anything with that? That men that means you're actually a proactive ally and you're a helpful ally. If that makes sense. Um, there is a, an article in the Independent this week, and um, which looked at um the reaction to Sabina Nessa and Sarah Everard and how there were vigils held. For these two women and in the article it mentions a book called Against White Feminism um, and the article describes the book as talking about um, white feminists who are privileged make minority women feel even more uncomfortable and begin to feel fed up um, because white women um, who I'd like to think and I'm sure are doing it from a place of support and care um can't necessarily understand the um problems that a woman of color goes through and again is their support tokenistic is it surface level reaction which is something that Emma Watson was criticized for which you know arguably Katie Perry could be could, could be criticized for even though she did um you know uh, make links to to charities as well um. So uh, every day, racism, and also I weigh the Jamila the Jamil account um, and movement on Instagram. They offer information on how people can become more proactive allies than um, just reactive allies. Um. And so they, you know, give really simple suggestions such as taking your allyship offline for a start. Don't just post something online, don't just use a hashtag, but actually discuss it, call someone out if they're being racist, call someone out if they're being sexist, call someone out if they're being homophobic, like I mentioned with the Mae Martin book before. But um, what I really like um, about the account is that they as I've mentioned before, they give lots of uh, quotations and research and data, which helps you then become more of a proactive ally, because you're reading and educating yourself about these issues. So, for example, they reference um a, a man called Andrew Ibrahim, um, and he's come up with a chart, basically, to make you question yourself on how anti-racist you are, because arguably it's all very well to say I mean, i'm not racist but then are you actually proactively doing anything to be anti-racist as well and the chart that andrew puts together is in three sections and it breaks it down into a fear zone a learning zone and a growth zone so in the fear zone um is someone who and um, they would kind of define themselves as saying that they strive to be comfortable themselves and they avoid hard questions. So they would say that they're not racist, but they don't necessarily discuss racism, they don't call people out for racism. And that's what um, is kind of coined the fear zone that you don't do anything wrong, air quotes, um, but you don't do anything to help others either. Then there's the learning zone, which is someone who can understand their privilege. They can understand that um, people are more vulnerable than them. They understand that there is a need to go and educate themselves on issues such as race. Um, And then there is the growth zone. So this is someone who can speak out when they see racism on the street. This is someone who speaks to their friends and says, have you read this? Have you watched this documentary? Um, Are you aware of what this term means? Um, And someone who uses their position and a position of privilege, particularly a white man, a white woman, to um, actually voice and support those who are less privileged than themselves. Um, so if you wanted to to find more out about that, it's called Andrew M. Ibrahim um, and Ai Wei and Everyday Racism have both referenced this image. So um, the fear zone, the learning zone and the growth zone. And I thought that was a brilliant way to almost summarise what a reactive and a proactive ally is. It's very different when, when you think about it. But um, I think what's also important is to consider the the positive responses and the positive outcomes of proactive allyship so a couple of positive things that have happened this week which again everyday racism the account have highlighted so um the welsh government um have um, released um, a statement this week saying that it will be the first uk nation to make asian ethnic minority histories mandatory teaching in school so that it won't just be um a kind of lip service um kind of one-off assembly during black history month but that the teaching of black and asian history will be put into school's curriculum in wales um and then far afield um, it was reported that 400,000 acres of Australian land will be given back to in, um, the Indigenous communities who originally had it. Um, and originally had it um, before settlers came um, and basically stole it off them um, many years ago. In Scotland... Um, announced um, just at the end of September on the 24th that it is the first country in the world, they, they state, to fully embed LGBT into the curriculum. So LGBT will be embedded into each um, subject um, in the curriculum, whether that be with text within English, whether that be looking at um, um, the history of, of LGBT Um, treatment and allyship and law in history. And then also going back to Wales, there was a statue unveiled this week of Betty Campbell, who was the first blackhead teacher in Wales. Um, And she died in 2017, but a a statue was put up to celebrate her this week. So um, in terms of proactive allyship, I think it is also important to focus on the positives that come out of it and not just focus on um, the negatives um, of uh, kind of um, tokenistic allyship and actually look at the the positives um, that can happen when people do in fact work together and do in fact proactively work for a change. So if you want to be proactive and you want to be a proactive ally, whether that is for um, people of colour, whether that is for members of the LGBT community, whether that is for, um, women and supporting them with the, the, the violence that's really been highlighted in the news at the moment that they're continually face from men. Um, there is several things that you can do. One, think about what you follow online, so Instagram accounts such as Everyday Racism, why don't we discuss, diversify your narrative, Books that you can go and read. May Martin, I mentioned, can please, can everyone please calm down? I've mentioned Don't Touch My Hair before, which I quoted from, I think, in in last week's episode or the week before. The Good Immigrant, which is a series of essays about people of colour and minorities and living in England. Talk to people and explain terminology to them. Ask a friend if they've heard of virtue signalling. If they haven't, explain to them what it means. Um, explain to them what tokenism is. If they, uh, you see them post something on Instagram, challenge them on it. Is that tokenistic or are they actually then going to follow through and do something? Um And even coming down to documentaries, there's a wealth of documentaries that look at these issues. Go and watch them and educate yourself and then talk to people about it. That's the best thing that you can do. So I hope this episode has been useful. Um, I, I always like to think that it is, um, you know, educational um, and supportive rather than um, critical of anything. By all means, as always, contact me if you have a point of view or something that you'd like to add and discuss. As I said, I will hopefully be able to respond to a few more emails from last week's episode. So, again, please email me this week, that one time, podcast at yahoo.com. And just to finish off, I always finish with one thing I've done that week. So I'm very excited that um, I'm going to be um, on another podcast um in um, about a month or so's time as you know um, i'm a huge fan of scream um i did an episode on a couple of weeks ago looking at the treatments of women in horror films and um a podcast and it's really really good is um scream with ryan showers Um, and i've been invited to be on that podcast in about a month or so so i'll let you know when that's recorded and i'll let you know when that's released but i'm really looking forward to that um scream is um 25 years old oh my god and it's the 25th anniversary of it next week and i feel so old like older than the sun um but uh, i'm also very excited for the new film that's out next week uh, next year sorry not next week and um, but anyway um i hope that you have a good week um. please think about what I've suggested you can go and read and do to become a proactive ally rather than just a reactive one and uh, have a good week and I will speak to you very soon.